Every day is a school day. I'm still figuring it out. I still make mistakes. It's how you navigate through it. It's how you adjust your attitude on the fly. You don't always know things. You know, it's about asking, hey, how would you approach this? You can learn so much from that. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. Text me what your favorite episode is, how I could improve the podcast, what products would you like to see, but most importantly, I just want to connect with you. Text me at 614-953-6380. Again, that's 614-953-6380. I receive each message directly, and I'm excited to hear from you. Go on, press pause, and save my number, 614-953-6380. Joni Butler is in the driver's seat today. This small-town girl from Northern California started dabbling in the trades as a teenager. She graced the amateur surfing scene in the early 90s, and immediately after high school, she moonlighted as an assistant crew chief on a NASCAR sportsman team. She went on to work as a certified small engine mechanic, and then became a top sales rep and fabricator for a company that sold direct-fit catalytic converters. As if that wasn't enough, Joni taught herself how to weld, which led her to her own business in metal artwork and eventually to working for ArcZone.com, where she is today. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Joni Butler in driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Joni? Super fantabulous. Thank you. You're on the West Coast, right? I am. I'm in San Diego, California. Ah, I have a friend that lives in San Diego, and for years she was trying to get me to come out there, and it's crazy how life just happens, and next thing you know, a decade's gone. (laughs) It happens just like that, so I encourage you to get out here. You know, I heard it is beautiful, and my partner and I have this uh, goal to buy an RV and literally drive all over the United States and hang out with some of the women that I have interviewed uh, so that they can really show me their world. Come on out. I got a place you can park right out front. There there we go. There we go. Um, <laughs> so what I love doing is really jumping in and kind of doing a time capsule throwback, if you will. And I love learning how the guests got into what they're doing, what started it all those years ago. So I guess let's back up a little bit, Joni. And how did you end up in this career? Wow. Um, You know, it was something very, when I was very, very young, I'm talking like uh, four or five years old, I just knew that I was going to be working with my hands. I was always intrigued with trying to, you know, pull things apart and put them back together. 
Um, I didn't like dolls or anything like that. I liked different old radios. I liked old tools. I liked uh, equipment, anything that I could, you know, kind of get out and get my hands on from a very, very young age. And it was just a very natural occurrence. So I'm curious, Joni, I was the same way growing up. Like I had no interest in dolls. I was way more interested in like working with my hands with stuff. How did your parents, I guess, maybe cultivate that or... Did they, or did they have any reaction to it? Um, Well, I've always been referred to as the wild child, and I've come to realize now it's because I was just so curious that they definitely, they didn't want to stop me. I guess I somewhat threw a fit. So um, (laughs) through that, they just kind of let me go, basically. I had all the freedom in the world to explore whatever it was that I needed to explore. Um, I didn't have a lot of direct parenting. I don't think I've ever really have had that, to be very honest with you. I had parents, but again, they were very much taking care of themselves and trying to figure out their own worlds. Um, they made sure that I had, you know, um, certain safety nets. But uh, I still, gosh, from a young age, I mean, I remember waking up in thunderstorms, downpouring of rain, grabbing a, you know, the wash bucket for your dishes and running up the hill to slide down it. And I just remember my dad just kind of grabbing me and go, once I got to the bottom, of course, but uh, once I got to the bottom of the hill, just, and, you know, elated, um, him literally just picking me up and, you know, bringing me inside. But I was never really reprimanded for any of that. It, it was just one of those things that, well, oh, she's at it again. So um, I think that really did kind of allow me just to be who I am. Um, and I'm very grateful for that, to be honest. Absolutely. So it's kind of something you've always done. So you kind of fast forward to maybe high school. How did that kind of evolve and blossom once you got older? Oh, I had, again, I had all the freedom in the world. So um, a lot of my friends were were the boys. Um, A lot of them, you know, growing up in such a rural environment, a lot of the older guys, um, you know, they all had their off-road trucks. They all had their quads or motorcycles. They were always fixing or beating up on something. And um, one thing about the culture where I'm from is, you know, there's a lot of off-roading. So um, as soon as I, you know, got behind the wheel. And I'll be honest, I was driving around 13 years old, um, you know, illegally. <laughs> um, to, you know, None of us have ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, there's a lot of dirt roads in my area um, and a lot of, uh, you know, old logging roads that, you know, pretty much deserted at those times. So there were great shortcuts, great adventure roads, to be very honest with you. So I I definitely took advantage of all of those, you know. So I was encouraged by the guys as well. And, um, you know, as soon as I got my very first vehicle, which was my my dad's hand-me-down truck, which was an 84 Nissan with the NAP-Z motor. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's got two spark plugs per cylinder. It's a very, very, very rad little four-cylinder motor. That's way cool, by the way. Yeah, it's just, it was one of those things that um, I would take that truck where all the four wheelers would go, you know, they were all up there in four wheel drive and here I would come just, and I didn't care about, I didn't care what the truck looked like. I was going to drive that dang thing up that hill, um, ruts and all, you know, um, and, you know, the guys encouraged me to get to the top. So that was, 
another reason why I just kept going with it. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> absolutely. And I, you know, they're, they're always kind of going, wow, that Joni. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if anyone ever really understood my, my energy. I was just going for it. So when you were in high school, did you know that you wanted to go to college or did you, was that even a thought or did you know exactly what you wanted to do? It was something that, again, I didn't, I come from a very small town and the, you know, the high school counselors were, you know, I think that they were very much looking at certain test scores and I was never one to necessarily uh, score high on tests and it was something that uh, I didn't get the best guidance. I mean, if anyone looked at me and really kind of like would pay attention to what I was saying to them, I would have hoped that they would have guided, you know, someone into something into the trades. Um, It was, you know, Hey, get your grades up. You got to get into a JC. That's the only way you're going to get into a a four-year college to get yourself a degree. What am I going to study? Well, you got, you know, you score very high in mechanics. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, What does that mean? Um, And they never, they didn't encourage any options. They, you know, they really weren't very helpful. And that was very discouraging. Um, And it got to the point to where I literally had both middle fingers up at them and said, okay, screw you. I'm going to figure out my own way. I'm going to show you how to do it. To be very honest, I was adamant about making it without going to college. I knew that that wasn't the role for me. Um, I didn't have financial support in any way, shape, or form. Um, I was always somewhat on survival mode growing up through high school. So uh, I, my grades necessarily weren't the best. I, I love to play sports. So I made sure that I had, you know, just the basics to get by to, you know, to make sure I could play for my team. My team meant everything to me. Is that when you started surfing, Joni? I, I started surfing. I really fell in love with the ocean at a very young age. I was very, very fortunate to have uh, my grandparents had 11 acres of oceanfront. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. Um, I taught myself how to surf when I was about 10 years old. This was a very, very long, drawn-out process where I had hypothermia more times than I ever liked to admit. Holy mackerel. <laughs> <laughs> hypothermia. Well, I- <laughs> I didn't have money for a wetsuit, but I had to go out there. So um, every low tide, I would go down and walk the water line. You know, mm-hmm. I'd walk the beach and I would pick up remnants of, of wetsuits, of any type of neoprene or any type of thick rubber that I thought might hold on some heat. And I literally duct taped my first wetsuit together. Um, wow. You can imagine what some of the older, you know, kids were saying about me. Um, they had no idea what in the world is she doing? Uh, she's not, you know, she's not a surfer. What is she? You know, I definitely got called all of the names. Didn't care. Um, I just kept going and just kept going. Now I know the Femcanic Garage podcast is about automotive and, and motorsports skilled trades, but this is fascinating me because going down the surfing path is also kind of what led you or solidified the direction that you went in the trades. So I, I want to spend a little bit of time in, in surfing. You started this and you fell in love with it at a young age, but it wasn't a hobby. I mean, it was, but you got pretty serious about it as well as you got older, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it was definitely a lifestyle. It was something, again, being born and raised on the ocean. It's just something, 
I mean, you fall asleep at night listening to the rhythm of how the waves come in. You you hear the tone change when a swell is coming in from different directions. It's something like all of a sudden you're, you know, you're a weatherman. You know, you're you're looking out, you're trying to navigate and figure out when these storms are going to come in and push in different masses so you can see what that ocean is going to produce. Yeah, it, it was something that, again, I a very, very, very core element of my life. Um, I would go down to the beach, you know, at a very young age, my, my Nana would take me down there every morning and we would basically catch our food for the day. So, um, you know, again, there's a very deep, deep connection that I just kept going with as well. It was something that you just, it's, for me, it was always my fountain of youth. I just had to keep going. I wanted to travel. So I traveled. Um, I wanted different waves. I wanted different I wanted just to live it. I wanted to feel it. And you mentioned traveling, but you were a semi-pro surfer. So this is way beyond hobby. It, well, it was something that I was more, I did not want to do any of the contests. So I definitely stayed on the side. I would encourage, I was more of a mentor. Um, but at the same time, I still was, you know, I just kept going, just kept going. It, it was more of my choice to be what they would call a soul surfer and not go into competitions. And it was during a time that, you know, to be a lady or to be a woman surfer, I mean, you really had to make some sacrifices to get in there. And I wasn't willing to go down those roads. What do you mean by sacrifices? I mean, I understand the definition of sacrifice, but. You know, again, a lot of women would just give up rights to their body straight up. You know, they would do things that to me, I would be like, wow, I would never go sleeping with my shaper, you know, I'll, I'll pay my shaper to shape my boards. I am not going to give sex to get, to get a ride basically. And also just to level up and get different sponsorship. Um, at that time there was just a lot of just, just things going on that just, yeah. Kind of like selling your soul in a way. Oh, it was totally selling your soul. But again, a lot of the girls didn't see it that way because it was never explained to them. Um, Mm -hmm. wanted absolutely nothing to do with that. Now, you were an, an excellent surfer, but something happened that made you kind of shift gears. Do you care if we kind of dive into your accident? Absolutely. No worries. Um, it was one of those things, uh, being a surfer and also being someone who loves motorcycles, I I had a deep, deep, deep love for anything on two wheels. Um, and at the time, this was back, gosh, like 2003, it was when there was a big old fad of what they called the fat 50s. And that was the little Honda 50s that they would kind of build up with different bars and different pegs. And, you know, they put a little carb kit on a bigger pipe and, uh, you know, basically make it so an adult body could kind of ride it and a little bit more aggressive. Um, so it was something that I had to have one, went out and got one and, uh, was uh, not not the brightest um, one evening and chose to get on it and, you know, share my, my new little bike with uh, this young lady that I was mentoring, actually. So again, double whammy, just just two negatives all at once. <laughs> and I basically, I, I clipped a garbage can. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> oh, I was saying that you know, for weeks after that, I couldn't tell you. I still do actually occasionally. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I basically, unfortunately, I clipped a garbage can and ended up, you know, those 50s are have a very, very small wheel on them. So 
was such a short wheelbase as well. It literally threw me straight up and straight down onto my head. Um, I wasn't necessarily going fast, but it didn't matter. I still basically had complete tunnel vision. Um, I must have gone out because I went completely black for a little bit, but then all of a sudden I came to and I was on my feet and um, I basically reached over and had bones literally not popping through the skin, but there was a whole bunch of real sharp points in there. So I, I knew at that point that life was going to be a little bit different. Now that was your shoulder? It was my shoulder. It, it was my clavicle that actually, you know, went through. It completely shattered. Oh. Gosh. And it completely separated the uh, shoulder from the collarbone. And you shared, I think, an interesting perspective with me when we talked before. And I think it's a great lesson to everyone is that you knew something was wrong, but the doctors kept kind of blowing you off for surgeries, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one thing when you're when you're an athlete, you you understand your body. Your body is really kind of telling you things all the time. It's either you need to eat this or don't eat that or, oh, man, you you need to see a chiropractor. <laughs> you know, it's, it's if you listen, it's going to tell you things. And I knew through the prognosis, you know, when they're, you know, looking at an x-ray and you have literally almost an inch and a half of shattered bone going in all different directions, you can't tell me that that's going to fuse together. And they continuously for, for months, you know, said, hey, don't, don't go anywhere. Don't get off the couch. Don't walk around the block. Sit still. It's going to fuse. It's going to fuse. To the point to where I just was literally going crazy. Just I was seriously losing it. My mental health was probably the weakest ever. My friends were beside themselves. Um, I learned all about projection, <laughs> what that is, because I was spitting nails um, to everyone around me. And then I finally just took all of that energy and I directed it at, uh, at Kaiser and said, hey, take care of me. I think there's an important lesson that you're talking about right there, Joni. In this instance, do you mind talking a little more about when you say I learned about projecting and at the end, it, it seems like it was directed at the right place. But if I'm interpreting what you're saying, there was a time where it was misdirected towards friends. Well, absolutely. For, for me to figure it out, I think whenever you're in pain, you go through different cycles of pain. Um, you know, there's some that you just you can't manage. And when doesn't when you are in continuous pain, I really feel for people that have continuous pain, by the way. You know, when, when there's something that you just cannot shut that off, you, you're looking for anything. And, and, and another thing on a side note is I would not take the prescribed drugs because it, they were trying to give me Oxycontin, uh, the 800 milligrams of Vicodin. And I do not do well with those types of, of drugs. You know, they just really just throw me mentally into a whole different zone. So I knew physically that I had to push to get taken care of. And so again, it was, it was more, if I didn't do this, you know, if I didn't fight to get what I needed and I was very, I'm very grateful. I had a very dear friend, um, Greg Hungerford, who was a chiropractor of mine who literally, you know, he, he came, he basically mentored me through that um, because he, he could tell how much I was hurting and he was so empathetic. He was able to, you know, say, Hey, you know, go here, ask for this. 
So if I didn't have that type of mentorship as well to guide me through that and to help me figure out what I was going through, that would, yeah, again, it it would have been a whole different turnaround, a whole different turn of of events. Um, But it was through that whole process. And it is, again, it's, it's a process of going through pain and figuring out and realizing that, you know, you can get better. No matter how much you hurt, you can get better physically and and mentally. When that happened, obviously you had some decisions to make around surfing and something that you loved to do. Now, were you working at that time? Uh, I actually, I was unable to work, so no. Um, But luckily my employer was amazing and, you know, they basically kept my position open. They still paid all of my health care throughout it. And what were you doing prior to your injury? As far as work, I was working for um, a company called Miller Catalyzer. So I was basically selling aftermarket and direct fit and rebuilding, you know, on the fabrication side, I would rebuild OEM catalytic converters and I would be distributing them to different automotive repair shops and dealerships throughout all Southern California and Arizona and other states, basically. Now, I'm just, in my head, I'm putting together kind of the timeline. Now, when you finished high school, did you go directly into a trade school then? I did not. So you just went directly into working? I went directly into working, correct. And I I, I, I took small little workshops and courses and certifying courses. Basically, through each one of my employers, I learned some tricks. <laughs> Basically, for, you know, if you're really passionate about something, you find a workplace that you want to be a part of. Um, and I became employed and then I would prove myself to them and they would provide me training. So I think that's a brilliant thing, Joni. And I'll tell you what, I hope this younger generation opens their ears and hears that. Because I know growing up, I felt like the only option was you go to college. And I I don't regret anything that I've done. It's made me the person I am today. But I didn't really see that as a true option. So I I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's brilliant. Especially without having to have all the student loan debt that so many people have. It worked for me. I mean, I, again, I've always been in a solutions-minded mindset. So it was something that I, I had to figure it out. So um, it worked. Um, And I think there's a little luck thrown in there. Uh, Obviously, a little bit of grit will get you through as well, Mm -hmm. because you you do have to keep pushing for what you want to do. Right. Um, Now, where did you work then as soon as you were out of high school? Oh, my goodness. You're making me really go back. Um, Right out of high school, basically, I straight up got engaged and moved out and moved down to San Diego and I thought it was one of my first jobs. I believe one of my very first jobs was Pet Boys. So I basically, and that was another thing. I started off through, you know, just as a CSR rep and ended up as a CSR manager. Uh, and then basically they figured out that I knew the parts better than they did. And at that point uh, I was pretty much already set of leaving and relocating up back up to Northern California. So, um, and that's when I got into small engine repair. 
Nice. And you had mentioned doing a little bit of moonlighting then as an assistant crew chief on a NASCAR. Yes. Yeah. That, that's when I was st- still down here in San Diego. My fiance at the time, um, again, working at Pep Boys, uh, you know, it's especially out in East County, San Diego, you would see a lot, you know, and we also had El Cajon Speedway out there. So um, it was one of those guys on certain nights of the week, you, you know, every every Friday or Saturday night, excuse me, they'd go and destroy the cars. And so the rest of the week, they're having to put them back together so they can go race again. Um, and where'd they go? They went to Pet Boys. <laughs> so I met a lot of, wow. you know, up and coming drivers and just happened to be of the age that, you know, Jimmy Johnson and his dad were, were out there and just a couple pits down from us. So, um, you know, basically through working at Pet Boys, um, basically I introduced myself to one of these guys that came in one night. I could tell that he, he had a car, didn't know exactly what type of car he had, but long story short, he had a, a NASCAR sportsman. And uh, can you educate me? I'm, I've learned quite a bit of NASCAR stuff from Liz Pristella, but I'm still learning. It's not NASCAR, NASCAR. It's just more just the, you know, the model of the car. So it's basically it. it's a fiberglass chassis and a three, a 355 blown up GM, basically. Nothing overly special. Still sounds fun to me. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, you know, absolutely amazing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But uh, again, it had nothing to do with actual NASCAR. So you, you got engaged. You moved to San Diego. You were at Pet Boys. You knew that you wanted to leave Pet Boys. What was next for Joni? Uh, I actually wanted to leave all, you know, I wanted to head back up north. I was, you know, again, I was 18, 19 years old. I was very young and I was just trying to figure it out. And I had come from a very, very small town and went directly into just San Diego's intense. Um, and when I was, you know, there was a lot of culture shock that I had to deal with. Um, I just, it wasn't rubbing me the right way at that time in my life. So my fiance and I decided to basically go back up north. And luckily my, uh, my grandparents' house was available and I moved in there and had 11 acres oceanfront again for, you know, only just a few months. I didn't last there very long. And then I came right back down here. So it was one of those things. I think it, it was a just stepping stone. Sometimes you go, you, you backstep before you jump. It's a great way of putting it. And there's no shame or any harm in doing that. Sometimes it's the best thing you can do. Oh, no. Absolutely. You got to take care of yourself. And you you don't know all the time. So nurturing yourself and just kind of following whatever it is you feel, excuse me, whatever you allow yourself to feel, you know, um, I think uh, there's quite a lot to be said about just rolling with it. So you decided to head back down to San Diego. What did you do when you got back to San Diego then? That's when I was kind of, I really enjoyed working at the, uh, at the small engine, you know, at the, they called it Coast Rents up, up in my um, hometown. Basically it's where there's a little rental company where they rented out, you know, all different types of equipment. Um, I really enjoyed that type of atmosphere because there was always a shop in the back that was always fixing or modifying some of the equipment, especially when you have so many, if you have rental equipment, it's going to get beat up. So it was always interesting in that environment to see how the guys would fix it and, and what came back and what shape it was in. So that was always, you know, a real interesting experience. And then it was also being exposed to 
hearts look up. And at that day, I'm really giving away my age. And at, and at that time, I was literally looking up parts for Briggs and Stratton and different Hitachi and different smaller engines, all microfish. Oh, wow. I got to pause for a moment. I haven't heard that in a hot minute. And, and Joni, you and I are not huge. A- I, I, do you mind me asking, how old are you, Joni? I just turned 46. Okay, I'm 42 years old. So we're, we're just four years apart. But it has been a moment since I've heard microfish. And part of me wants to explain to people because I, I have some young <laughs> listeners and they're probably like, what is that? Are we eating? What is microfish? Are they little fish? Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I, it just reminds me, I don't know if anyone's ever watched those Ellen clips where she puts like a rotary phone in front of a, a young <laughs> person and is like, <laughs> dial your phone number. <laughs> they what? You, it's been so long. I guess just a quick snippet, if we can say what microfish actually is. And it doesn't have to be like a formal definition, but. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what a good definition is. Microfish is when they would have, it's like a, an x-ray, maybe, every person. <laughs> I don't even know if yeah, I'm saying I, it right. You are saying it right. I'm actually looking it up right now. So a Thank you. It's microfish, and it's spelled M-I-C-R-O-F-I-C-H-E. But this was, you know, what was used before (laughs) the extreme digital wave came through. And what it is, it's a flat, and I'm reading this from a definition, a flat piece of film containing micro photographs of the pages of like a newspaper or a catalog or magazine. And then literally you put it in this like machine (laughs) That kind of blows it up to make it bigger <laughs> so you can read it. Yeah. That's insane. It's almost like a micro, it's backlight. like a microscope for these like smaller documents <laughs> on this little film. Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah. You took me down memory lane there. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was always intriguing because I'd always laugh and go, really? Yeah. Well, um, it's it's interesting. You know, like I said, we're only four years apart, but when you, you talk about our lifetime and the generation that we're in we're the only generation that truly straddled pre-digital world and post right so we're kind of in that middle where uh, i remember the corded phones you only went so far away from the base of the phone because you were attached to the wall (laughs) (laughs) you got a real long cord if you got a real long cord and then the the uh good old um uh, cordless phones, but that did not mean you could leave your house. That just meant you didn't have a long cord. But oh, of course you would try. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. We have <laughs> all tried. Like I'm gonna hop in the car and just see how far this really works. <laughs> Sorry, going down memory lane here. But you were saying microfish. So basically, you know, yeah, I would, you know just looking up stuff on microfish and just the whole process of trying to find the right parts for things, just fixing things, just being able to do the research and, you know. And research then was a lot more difficult than it is now. (laughs) 
Oh, that absolutely was, especially, you know, you'd have to go out to the motor and try to find serial numbers or model numbers or anything on it, just anything to identify. And you it, couldn't so. pop that into Google and it pull up stuff. Oh, that's no. that's where the no, whole microfish no, 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 no. thing comes in. You you went to a library or a parts store. Or, yeah. Right. And and you were also forced to communicate because if you you could only get so far with that. So you were forced to call the dealers. You know, you were forced to call the manufacturer. And being a young lady, you you needed to know exactly how to ask for what you wanted. You know, so that was something that I very, very grateful for those around me in that time, because the bosses were always kind of like, okay, make sure you pay attention, ask for it like this. And they'd only have to say that a couple of times. And I caught on going, ah, technical, yes, technical as possible. Don't act like you're a dumb girl. They would never say that to me, but man, boy, it rang clear. Just like, you need to speak this language and you will get through the door, basically. So once I figured that out, it was just like, oh, okay, gotcha. And it uh, still works to this day. A lot of the, like, Briggs and Stratton small engine. Now, how long did you do that? Not long enough. Um, I, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I probably ended up doing maybe about three years ago. Got about. it. And then what kind of pulled you away from that? It was more just wasn't paying the bills, wanted, was hungry. I was hungry for something else. And so I basically started to look through different newspaper ads, trying to find, you know, different classified ads back in those days because we still didn't have the Googles. Um, you know, I was always, you know, always kept my eyes open. I was, you know, I was never, never necessarily thinking the grass is greener over here mentality, but I just, I knew that these were certain stepping stones. You know, I, I had had enough experience and enough working experience that I could only go so far at certain places. So once I gained that experience and, you know, was just again, just hungry and kept kind of, you know, in the pursuit of finding what's next for me. Were you in your 20s at this time, Joni? Yeah, I was a pro, I was probably about 23 ish. Okay. So really young. Yeah, I was probably about 23. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then basically I, I answered an ad, uh, a classified ad, and made a phone call and basically set up an interview. For this company that sold catalytic converters, didn't really know a darn thing of what they were trying to do. Showed up to the interview, unfortunately, about 20 minutes late because in San Diego, especially in the beach areas, they have streets and boulevards and you can always get them very much confused. And uh, of course, they're on opposite ends of certain beach areas and to get from one side of the beach to the other is always 20 minutes. So <laughs> I ended up at the wrong location, figured it out. Um, and at that time, I was using a Thomas guide to navigate me through and uh, basically ended up uh, walking in on on another guy that was interviewing for the same job. And the guy looks up, you know, the the uh, the gentleman who was doing the interview just said, hey, why don't you just sit down? I'll just, you know, kill two birds with one stone type, mm -hmm. you know, response. And uh, I was just like, OK. And, uh, you know, and basically started asking me certain questions and asked me you know as far as what type of mechanic background and uh, asked me if I knew how to weld and uh, and I did. Now where did you pick up welding at along your journey because at this time you're about 23 years old. Mm -hmm. I picked up welding basically when I was back up in Northern California working in the rental yard. My fiance also was um, 
I actually, what's really ironic is I actually bought him uh, an old Lincoln, actually it was a brand new Lincoln MIG machine before I'd even ever welded or even thought about welding. I had purchased that machine for him because he begged and begged and begged. And we were also building a derby car at the time for me. Um, <laughs> did you end up driving that derby car? I sure did. Beat the living crap out of it. That is awesome. outstanding. <laughs> it was super rad. But again, it was something that I I really... I didn't know when I was with him. It it was more of I I learned right before I left him. Actually, um, I went into the shop one night and they had an old buzz box in the back of Coast Rents, and I was determined to teach myself how, how to weld it. And uh, I had always watched the guys, you know, weld on you know, all the old lawnmower decks and um, and blades and stuff like that to sharpen them. And uh, so I went back there and was just fascinated after the first couple arcs. First off, that I got the machine to work. And second off, that I was actually able to weld things. So when you talk about self-taught, I mean, you don't get any more self-taught than that. And again, have to remind people, this is pre-YouTube. <laughs> so just put yeah, just putting this in perspective here. And, and hopefully by, by me bringing that up, Joni, the, the intent isn't... Because when I say it out loud, I'm like, God, I'm old. <laughs> it's not to make you feel old at all. It's just sometimes we have to put things in perspective. I feel like growing up, the era that we grew up in, there was a lot more hands-on learning. And what I mean by that is it seems like a lot of people will go to YouTube first then go do some hands-on work, whereas then that wasn't an option. And a lot of times you didn't even have books. You didn't even have things. It was literally you pick it up and you figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I again, I still am, I still to this day rarely go to YouTube. People look at me like, what? I'm like, no, I really don't go to YouTube. And I, it fascinates me when I do go and I see all, you know, all of the, the different content out there. It's like, Oh my goodness. And people make, you know, comments like University of YouTube. And I'm like, wow, where was this? Oh, I know. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> you know, I'm great. I'm grateful. I, I'm grateful for all the steps. I'm grateful for my loyalty to the craft. You know, I really wanted to, to work with my hands. I wanted to figure it out. And I, I still have a lot, you know, every day is a school day. I'm still figuring it out. Um, I still make mistakes, you know, uh, it's, it's how you navigate through it. It's how you adjust your attitude on the fly. You don't always know things, you know, it's about asking that, that newbie, Hey, how would you approach this? You can learn so much from that. I don't know. You just have to be a little bit different. You went in for the interview. You got the job. Yeah. That poor other dude, he got, he got sent away. <laughs> that is <awesome>, right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you were with them for quite some time, though, right? Yeah, I was with them for about 17 years. Uh, I basically started up a what they call an incubator warehouse. Um, it's more of just a pop-up shop because they're just kind of testing testing the market. I proved them that it was a valid marketplace within, within three, <laughs> let's put it this way, uh, within three years of me being there because usually they would give them 
only, honestly, they would usually only give about nine months to test a market to see if it's going to work. They gave me three years by myself before they let me hire my first employee. Why do you think that is? It's because I was one efficient machine. I made them a lot of money. And I also, by doing that, by showing that I could do it, I really kind of, I legged up. I literally was able to go from making at that time, you know, you know, 22 to 25,000 to within a few years, I was up to 50,000. And it was all because of my determination and grit of just going, okay, well, I'm going to prove to them. I'm going to show them that I can, you know, create a market. I'm going to show them that I can sell their product And then I'm going to show them that I can make their product and save them even more money instead of all the shipping stuff and shipping me stuff that doesn't fit because I was dealing with direct fit exhaust, you know, components. So, you know, and they were aftermarket, they were built off of a jig. And then I was delivering them to different automotive repair shops that didn't have the cutting and welding, you know, tooling there. So that's why they were spending the extra money to buy these direct fit, you know, components. And here's, you know, this young lady showing up to, you know, deliver the part. If it didn't fit and I get a phone call back by the time I'm back to the shop, then I'm going, okay, well, I got a chop saw here. Where, where's the local muffler shop? So I can go cut that, redirect that bend, get it there, fix it, and go back there and get it on that car. So I was doing that for the first year and a half I was literally telling them what I was doing and they were just flabbergasted I was telling my bosses basically because you know basically I had a whole warehouse at that time it was 11 1100 square foot warehouse uh, to myself and my closest boss was up in Hayward California because that's where the corporate office was so it wasn't like I had someone coming how far away is that just to put in perspective About 600 miles driving time it's eight hours Flying time, two hours. And that was your closest. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Yep. So a lot of it was, you know, I was able to figure things out. I was able to problem solve my numbers. The cash that that I was putting in the bank for them, they were just dumbfounded. And the owner was just smitten with me. Let's put it that way. He just couldn't believe what I was able to accomplish um, to the point to where I had never met him also, to be very honest with you, until that three-year mark, he showed up at my location. I had had a record sales for that month and for the year. And he literally showed up, gave me a huge increase in pay, a, a new company vehicle, gas card. I mean, every every perk that you could think of. And said, whatever you need. And the very next week, I had two new Miller welding machines, a hypertherm plasma cutter. I had all the tools. They showed up. All, all the equipment. It was fabulous. So you would have been like in your later 20s then mm-hmm. when this mm-hmm. happened. Because you were with them for 17 mm-hmm. years, but this happened within your first few years there. Exactly. Yeah, this was happening probably when I was about 25. Were you just like... 25, 26. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, like, if I was a 25-year-old and that happened to me, you get a company car, you get all all the tools you need you, in a huge pay raise. Were you just, like, over the moon? Uh, definitely. I think the ego kicked in for sure. Um, but I'm, I was very grateful for about that same time in my life. 
I literally, with, with my job, I was in and out of just about every single automotive repair shop in San Diego County, in San Diego proper. I really met some phenomenal people. I mean, just really amazing people. One of the uh, humans that I ran into happened to be someone that I, he basically put me under his wing and mentored me um, for over 20 years. He recently passed away about a year and a half ago, but it was more of me going out there and throwing myself out there and getting the feedback from the people, from the guys out there that wanted me to be successful, that were able to say, hey, Joni, you see that chip on your shoulder? Tone it down a little bit. You don't, you don't need to act like that, you know? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, like, now that you're kind of painting that picture and you're in the shops and everything, how were you received for the most part? The majority of the time, it was always, uh, it was definitely, I'm a very confident woman, so they did not necessarily know how to, they didn't know how to turn me away, let's put it that way, <laughs> in a very nice way. So when I was going and, you know, approaching them and starting to talk my talk and, you know, talk about the service that I provided, they were just, couldn't believe that it was me. Um, to the point to where there's like, you know, if I need this, I'm going to call you because I just, I just don't know that this is real. Um, so I got that quite a bit. Um, it all depended on the age group. There's some guys that just flat out wouldn't even talk to me. It was the younger men that would come up and just say, Hey, what's going on? How can I help you? I'm like, Hey, is there a parts manager or someone I can talk to? Oh, he's busy right now. He told me to come talk to you. I'm like, okay. So, you know, a lot of it was me learning how to communicate and how to get where I needed to go. So again, a lot of the guys were very, you know, they were very respectable. Not, not all of them. I mean, there was definitely times that I was extremely verbal and straight out, you know, like screw you dude, you know, and gone, take the part and leave. I had to do that a couple of times. Um, just because of, you know, comments about my ass or something like that, which I was just like, okay, that's it done. Um, I, I just wouldn't accept it. I just, there's no reason to sit there and think that, that you have to tolerate that. And my bosses were very supportive of it. If I, if I came back and I lost this and some of these sales, I'm, you know, they were like $1,200 sales, um, that I would literally walk away from, you know, to be honest, the owner of the shop would wonder why they weren't able to complete a job. And then the whole, then that guy's story usually would get exposed and um, so again, it was a different way of working through challenges back then. And it was really all how you dealt with it. Um, I just, I, I didn't let it bug me because it, you're going to deal with that. It doesn't matter. It's just really on, on how you chose to just keep going and just move through it. Now you were with them for 17 years. What mm-hmm. ultimately pulled you away from, from there? Unfortunately, the 2008, 2009, when the auto industry took the huge hit, that's when the owner of the company who was failing in health and the family really wanted to, you know, probably keep some of the financial support coming in some way, they chose to close all locations. So it was one of those things that they literally dissolved a corporation, which um, I was completely shocked and never saw that coming. Wow. That's. Yeah. I mean, give me some perspective here on the size of company it was. Like, how many employees did they have? At that time, I would say 
they were incorporated. It wasn't like there were a huge amount of employees, but we had a lot of different locations that they had to dissolve very quickly. Mine was, mine was actually in, honestly, one of the third phases uh-huh. of it. Um, it wasn't in any of the initial cutbacks. I was just shocked that mine, because I was just a cash cow, I was shocked that, you know, that they closed mm-hmm. that. Wow. That would have caught me off guard for sure. So what did you do when that happened? Um, I basically flat out said, you know, I'm taking the equipment. This is my, um, my severance will be me taking the equipment and I'll dissolve everything else. And, and I never spoke to them again. And, you know, honestly, that there was a conversation and I was extremely professional. I closed out everything. I emptied their warehouses. I made sure that their guys from their corporate office came down and took all of the equipment that I wasn't going to take. I made sure that I swept out the warehouse, cleaned it and handed the keys back to the property manager who literally looked at me and said, I cannot believe that you're here handing me this key. Thank you so much. And it was a lot of that was my own integrity. It was I put so much into that business for them. It was a reflection of me. And I was not going to let my name get, you know, get dug in any dirt because of someone else's decision. So wow, um, learned a lot. Yeah. So you're unemployed. What, what do you do? Do you take some time off? You know, I had already been doing my metal art on the side for years. So that, that was always an, an income stream. Uh, that was always something on the side that you know, treated me well, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I'd love to be creative. I love I love the thought of me diving in and doing my metal art full time. So I lo- allowed myself to do that for about a year and a half with the equipment that I absorbed. I basically created two workspaces, one here in San Diego and one up in Fort Bragg, California. And I basically traveled in between and made a lot of art, sold a lot of art. And then I realized, man, you know, this is great, but hmm, I want to do something different. I would, I didn't, I enjoyed the chase. I, I really did, but I knew, I knew I wanted something different. I needed to go further. Technology was also just ramping up, and I felt if I, if I just stayed out in, in the metal room, basically, um, I was, I was going to miss something as far as technology. I didn't realize it at that time of what at the level that I was going to dive into, to be honest with you. But I knew that I had to be attentive. If it was, I didn't know if it was going to be a community, you know, a community college taking night courses on Excel or something. I knew that it was going to be really interesting. Just just in a few years' time of me not being in from 2008 to 2010, basically just the interview process of getting a job changed so much. And the fact that I had had one job where I didn't have a lot of experience interviewing and chasing down jobs because I was focused, I was career minded. So it was one of those things that I was, I was kind of reaching out, I was dabbling. I was kind of just looking for different, you know, opportunities. And uh, lo and behold, um, ArcZone had a, They had an ad, I believe, on Craigslist, but there was also another HR rep that they were using that basically, he, I don't know, for some reason he got my information. And between me responding to an ad and him contacting me, I knew that Arkson was probably 
the best direction for me to go. And ArcZone was a company that was basically, I think their their tagline was, help us build the best welding supply company in the world. And that just rang to me. That was just like, hmm, you know what? Every welding supply company that I've gone to, they're freaking idiots. Let me see if I can help these guys. Let me see if my experience, you know, can help them communicate that through. Um, and sure enough, it was one of those things I, I interviewed and pretty much got the job. And within two weeks, three weeks there, I was already getting increases in wage. And the owner was just like, oh, okay. I think, you know, he realized what he did get. Um, he also knew that I took a incredible, huge pay cut to come work for him. So establishing my true value, it was something for me that I needed to show very quickly so I could get back up into the ranks you know, as fast as, as fast as possible. And also to see what type of training, technical training was available. So I could really make this worth my while, because if I'm going to take a pay cut, I best be learning something. It's great, great philosophy to have. Yeah, it, it just works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, again, you, you do take sacrifices with that. But um, again, while I was doing my, my metal art, I was completely debt free to the point where I did have a little bit of a savings. So it wasn't crippling me to take that pay cut. I just knew that I had to increase that as quickly as possible. So um, we just went into Joni mode. Nine years later, still with them. <laughs> still with them and still, you know, basically building new positions for them all the time. That's That's been the beauty of ArcZone is I've worn so many hats. I've written so many different working positions for them. It's 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 awesome it's been it's been quite quite a ride you know everything from warehouse manager procurement uh customer service technical sales um now i'm in distributor sales it's just it's been a lot of fun that is fun that is fun and then also on the side i i get to create the arcson pro partnership which i've basically been able to align uh how many of us five different amazing fabricators, metal workers across the nation, um, and including myself. And we all get to basically share our tips and tricks and stuff through social media and through other different platforms. And I've been able to grow a whole different side family through ArcZone with that as well, which is just another amazing feat, basically. Absolutely. So what's next for Joni? What do you see on your horizon? <laughs> Um, right. I'm just going to keep on going. Um, I've got a couple, you know, side projects. I'm always doing art. I'm building bigger art now, which is, you know, something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to get more into public art. So it's, I'm, I still haven't gotten that public, you know, featured piece yet, but um, I also haven't necessarily disciplined myself to go get it. Um, once I can probably figure out exactly where I want to go. I, I think there's a part of my lifestyle that's allowed a little bit of openness. Um, I do like my freedom. I do like options. I do like to do a little bit of everything. So I like to have side projects and I also am extremely loyal. So with Arkstone being so loyal to me, it's something that uh, I I enjoy kind of partnering up with partners of Arkstone to do certain things. So um, I see some partnership coming with, with trick tools here soon, and hopefully we can, you know, build something with our pro partnership. So we've, you know, I can't really say anything out loud yet, but you know, I've, I've got some really cool stuff that, you know, we're trying to brainstorm so I can keep, 
being hands-on, still building, still creating, and slowly being able to, you know, also teach. You know, I definitely like to go out and and travel. Obviously, this year it's been a little bit uh, challenging to go out and do different workshops and stuff like that. But uh, I'm trying to make it so next year, and when things do kind of get get rolling, that uh, I can be aligned with certain partners to make it, you know, hit the ground running. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm I'm just trying to align everything and make sure that that we're all going to be there mm-hmm. as well. So it's it's creating those networks and just cultivating them and, you know, making sure we all have what we need so we can get there. Absolutely. And Joni, I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. Uh, what the red line round is, it's just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Let's do this. All righty. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? The craft. It's more the craft that I'm interested in within the industry. It's, it's, it's learning as much as I possibly can. It's really not one person. Sorry, I know it was supposed to be one word. No, no. It's the, I, I love it. I think that's brilliant. Now, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Uh, like I was discussing earlier, um, probably the, the pro partnership, my, my network, basically. Joni, what excites you most about what you do? The people. I know, isn't it? I'm just sitting here, I'm like, the people. It's so true. It's so simple. What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? I just breathe and I keep going. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Sometimes we all tend to overcomplicate things, right? Yeah. No, I, again, there's certain things that I just, I just stop. I stop and breathe. I love it. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Don't get discouraged. Um, you're going to get a lot of negativity thrown at you, but just turn it into positivity and keep going. Said like a true mentor. Joni, where and how can people connect with you? You can connect with me on Instagram, at uh, Joni Butler. Facebook as well, uh, Joni Butler Metal Designs. Also, you can reach me at ArcZone. ArcZone.com. You can, my email through them is uh, jbutler at arc-zone.com. Joni, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and just peeling back the curtain just a little bit so we can get behind the scenes and get to know who Joni Butler is. Thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoy sharing it with you. Absolutely. Joni Butler, distributor sales at ArcZone, and I'm a femcanic. Cook is in the driver's seat next. She's the artist and owner of Asphalt Canvas Custom Art, LLC. She creates custom art inspired by her clients' ideas in automotive enamels, ink and watercolor, and graphite. She was born into a family who enjoyed cross-country road trips, restoring muscle cars, and all things Americana. She started selling her heart at a very young age and used this money to buy her first car, a 1966 Jeepster Commando. 
With the help of her dad and brother, she restored it with her own money, and the work ethic she learned from building it later became the inspiration for her studio name and the artwork she produces today. Be sure to tune in next week to hear the dynamic story of this amazing artist. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?